0: Was the scientific revolution in God's providence? Stay tuned for my answer as I kick off Season 3 of Physically Spiritual. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. Tia was born in 1920. His only sister died before his birth. His mother died when he was nine years old, and his only brother died when he was 12. The Nazis occupied his country when he was 19, and he was forced to do compulsory work where he was hit by a tram and had a fractured skull. His father died when he was 21. He joined the seminary clandestinely and had to study in secret. And while he was doing that, he was hit by a truck where his shoulder was fractured and he was given a concussion at the age of 24. Later that same year, on an event called Black Sunday, uh, the, the Nazis went around the country to round up people they believed were not supporting their cause. To avoid this, he hid in his uncle's basement and then later spent the rest of the Nazi occupation in the bishop's residence. All this happened before his 25th birthday. He went on, This gentleman didn't lose his mind, he didn't become an addict, he didn't become resentful. He finished his priestly studies, learned 15 languages, earned two doctoral degrees, and eventually became Pope John Paul II. You know, if we look at his life uh, and ask the question, how should he have turned out? Right? If we just thought of all the trauma in his life, all the hardship, all the difficulty, all the, the reasons he could have had, uh, to just quit and give up, all the sadness, all the sorrow, all the pain. You know, if we just looked at that, who would we have guessed Carol Weitia would have become? Right, what was his trajectory just based on all that? In our schools now, we, we use ACE scores, adverse childhood experiences, and all the research plays out that when kids have multiple of these ACE events in their childhood that they're more likely to get sick, to struggle with mental illness, uh, to do more poorly in school. You know, what was John Paul II's ACE score? (laughs) Who was he supposed to become? In 2002, at World Youth Day in Toronto, John Paul II said, we are not the sum of our weaknesses and failures. We are the sum of the Father's love for us. We're not the sum of our weaknesses and failures. We are the sum of the Father's love for us. We're also not the sum of our parents' weaknesses and failures. We're not the sum of our society's weaknesses and failures. We're not the sum of everything bad that's happened to us. We're the sum of what God has done for us, what God has done to us, how we've allowed the Lord to come into our life and transform us. Uh, But in spite of all that, we all know that we struggle, we continue to struggle, sometimes deep into conversion, right? How many of us are completely free of all of our sin, of all of our failures? Uh, how many of us don't face, um, you know, just face ourselves in the stark fact of our, our continued uh, continued uh, sin, how we harm others and harm ourselves? And, and don't look at that and just ask, God, how did we get here? How are we still in this place? I just recently, in between seasons of Physically Spiritual, my first son was born. Um, and just recently, uh, I was changing his diaper, and he started peeing all over the place. <laughs> it was early in the morning, maybe 5.30 a.m., and um, I just instantly got so frustrated. And I, I had a, the balled-up diaper in my right hand that I just taken off of him, and I threw it down into the, the diaper tray, the, the trash can we have there, and I saw my son jump, you know, and his eyes got big, and I and I just realized um, how my how that that flash of anger, how that affected him, how that affected his heart, you know, and he was like shocked for a moment, and stunned, and then a few seconds later he started crying, uh, and I'm just sitting there holding him, like pondering my life, like like how did I get here, like, how do I react like that even when this precious little baby is in my care, um, you know, and, 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 and with the Lord working in my life and, and who I want to be, right? We're faced with these places in our lives where we just realized um, that we're broken, that we're so in need of God's grace, and yet God's already offered us so much grace. Um, and this is exactly uh, what I want to explore in season three of Physically Spiritual, as we get started, though, I want to invite you to support Physically Spiritual. This show is made possible by a group of, uh, of uh, generous supporters, patrons, who up to this point have been part of the Awakened Nation. Now, each one of the shows here on, uh, on Awakened Catholic have their own patron communities. Uh, so if you want to support Physically Spiritual, go over to physicallyspiritual.com and look at the different giving levels. With each giving level, there's perks. A few things just to point out, Uh, this season we're going to be doing Ask Me Anything episodes, and the patrons will have their questions answered first. Also, only part of the Ask Me episode will be uh, published to the general public, and then the whole episode will only be available to the patrons. You can also uh, get a a physically spiritual sticker. If you're watching this, you can see the logo uh, that I like to use, the Ventruvian man surrounded by the crown of thorns. Um, And there's many more benefits to becoming a patron. Uh, to get your benefits if you're a patron of the show or a member of the awaken nation you can get them all on the awaken app go to the awakenapp.io the app includes a, a great uh, community uh, kind of like an alternate to social media all of the shows that awaken catholic publish are also available there uh, and you can get access to all of your member benefits so go over to the awakenapp.io or search for the awaken app on the app store or google play store And finally, if you want to find anything I'm doing, you can find it at becominggift.com. I've been recently meditating on the story of Christ's passion. And as part of that meditation, something the Lord's brought me to over and over again are the trajectory of the different disciples. There's three characters, especially when you read the Gospel of John. You have Peter, John, in judas interestingly enough uh throughout the whole gospel of john john refers to himself as the beloved disciple you know and when when i hear that title uh you know on the surface you might think something like well he's just the one that jesus loved the most or he's just the one that that god loved but that's not true god loved all the apostles god loved all the disciples even judas you know jesus remains vulnerable to judas throughout his ministry loves Judas throughout his life, sees who he was from start to finish. Um, you know, Jesus says harsh words to Judas early in the gospel. He says, you know, it's it, it's better that you would have not been born. And oftentimes commentators hear that that line and they think something like, well, that means Judas goes to hell, right? Um, and that might be one way to, to take it, and we don't— uh, seriously know exactly where Judas ended up. It's maybe hard to make an argument that he made it somewhere else. But when I hear that line, it's better that you wouldn't have been born. I think, what happened to Judas after he was born? You know, what was his childhood like? This man lived with God incarnate for three years, seeing all of the healings, hearing all of his words, experiencing his love, seeing his heart poured out to the world. And at the end of all of that, he's unchanged, unmoved. He sells uh, this beautiful man, Jesus our Lord, into slavery—or not into slavery, but into captivity—and then to be killed. Uh, and, and I wonder, how did Judas's heart get there? Right? How was he abused? How was he neglected? How was he wounded? How was he formed? Right? What goes into making Judas who he is? Uh, so so we have judas kind of starting out the story of the passion in this low place and then uh, in the end we know he ends in a lower place by taking his own life Peter on the other hand uh, he starts out the passion by denying Jesus even in the captivity right he says i don't know the man surely you're mistaken I don't know him he denies him three times right Peter's also in this low place and then he he runs away and he doesn't show back up in the story till after Jesus uh, rises from the dead. John, on the other hand, he knows God's love, and he's the only one, the only apostle that's there at the crucifixion. And this interesting thing happens uh, after Jesus comes back from the dead, and the different encounters um, pay attention to the way that Peter reacts to when Jesus is there, compared to how John reacts to when Peter's there. You know, as, as they're rushing to the tomb to find the empty tomb, John and Peter are there. It says that John stops at the door and Peter rushes in. Uh, then then later on, they're out fishing on a boat and they see Jesus out on the shore. And it's uh, John's the one who recognizes Jesus, but Peter jumps into the water and rushes his way over there. And then there's the beautiful scene of the charcoal fire that happens, really kind of a threefold reconciliation between Peter and John. Uh, but but thinking of those stories, it makes me ponder then, what's the difference between John and Peter's heart? Right. This is what's causing them to react the way they react. Um, John knows Jesus' love. He, he reacts, um, even though obviously he's excited for our Lord to be back, he reacts with a certain measuredness, a certain calmness, a certain trust. Uh, John, in a sense, uh, needs to see Jesus less than Peter does. Peter, on the other hand, I think what's implied is, doesn't know Jesus's love the way that John does. It's not that Peter's loved less. It's that Peter knows he's loved less. J- John's the beloved disciple because he knows he's beloved. Not because he's loved more. So, so Peter's r- rushing forward because uh, he has this place of, of distance. He feels he regrets uh, his interactions with Christ at the end, uh, and then there's this beautiful moment of reconciliation with our Lord at the charcoal fire. Peter, will you love me? You know, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Um. So the question we have at hand is, we have these three trajectories, John, Peter, and Judas. Judas obviously doesn't know how he's loved either and and winds up uh, in this place of death, in this place of isolation. Peter starts in a similar place, not really understanding God's love for him, Jesus' love for him, but he finds this redemption. And then finally, John's reacting throughout with this heart of love, this heart of, of the knowledge of God's love for him. Um, so, so in that, um, for us, how do we end like Judas? How do we end like Peter? And how do we end like John? Right? What, what are the conditions in our life that, that change the course for us? You know, John Paul II, in a lot of ways, reminds me of, of John, right? But if you, if you listen to his story, um, you know, what's to say he couldn't have ended up like Judas? In my life, I, 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 I hope I can relate to Peter, right? Because I know I've struggled. I know I sin. I know I still have uh, so much weakness in myself. And I wonder, how can my ending be like his? Because we know that Peter ends up uh, dying for our Lord, Even though he denies him in the face of our Lord's death, Peter ends up himself being crucified at the end of his life. John Paul II loved to quote this line from the Second Vatican Council. It's, We cannot fully find ourselves except through a sincere gift of self. We cannot fully find ourselves except through a sincere gift of self. That's from the, the 24th paragraph of Gaudium et Spes. And throughout his pontificate, John Paul II quotes that line over and over and over again. You'll find it all over his writings and all over his, his speeches he's delivered. But this idea that, that we don't truly become who we are, who we're called to be, uh, who we are in God's image and likeness, until we make of ourselves a gift, until we give ourselves away, until we do like Peter did and die for others. Um, whether it just be through the day to day giving of ourselves or making the ultimate sacrifice for our Lord, so much of this, um, I think, is, is is so contrary to so much of what's in our contemporary self help environment. Right, the contemporary self help environment is is full of really, how can we get what we want? <laughs> uh, a lot of it is is sort of trying to answer the question: Now that we know God doesn't exist, what can we do? to make our lives better, right? How do we save ourselves without religion? And so what you find is, uh, you know, whether it be just turning toward diet, sleep, exercise, meditation, that's devoid of God's presence, but in all these ways, looking for answers to the human condition, the brokenness we all experience, the the limitedness we all experience without reference to God, right, without reference to our Lord, but what John Paul II is emphasizing throughout his pontificate is, is there's a, a logic in the gospel, the, the logic of sacrifice, the logic of giving ourselves away, uh, that, that strikes at the heart of that culture of self-fulfillment, that culture of self-realization, that culture of, of, uh, of sort of uh, do whatever it takes to get what you want, to feel how you want, to be how you want. As, as Christians and from the Second Vatican Council, uh, what came out for me most clearly from the council was the universal call to holiness. This idea that as Christians, there there aren't two classes of Christian. There's not like the professional Christians, the, the great mystics, the priests, the religious, these people who are the holy ones. And then there's the rest of us, the laity, the pew sitters, who who we just drop our money in the, the plate. And we make a lot of mistakes, so the church gives us confession. Um, but we're the unholy ones, right, dependent on the clergy to be connected to our Lord. The, the The Second Vatican Council strikes at the heart of this misunderstanding of what Christianity is about, saying that everyone, all believers, no matter what their class, their race, their position in the church, what have you, are called to, to holiness in the heights of holiness And John Paul II emphasizes this throughout his pontificate. Uh, the, The two kind of great pillars, I think, of the teaching of John Paul II are the theology of the body and the new evangelization. And I think we do ourselves a disservice if we create too much separation between these three great teachings, the universal call to holiness, the theology of the body, which was John Paul II's catechesis about life and love, about what it means to be human. And then finally, the new evangelization, the call to go out and reintroduce the world to the gospel, a world that was previously Christian, especially in the West, but has lost its sense of Christianity. Uh, as, as I dig into these topics more and more, I realize that the universal call to holiness is the new evangelization. Right, That if we're going to share our faith with anyone, if we're not authentically who we're called to be, if we're not radically transformed in our Lord's image, then then all of our our programs and attempts and schemes at spreading the gospel and growing the church are going to fall to nothing. The universal call to holiness is the new evangelization. But how do we live this holiness? And, And I think John Paul II's convincing answer is the theology of the body, right? This catechesis on human love, on human sexuality, on how to be human in the world, But it begs the question, how to live the theology of the body? Is it just a bunch of ideas that we collect, and then once we understand them, our life is transformed? Or is there something else to it? Uh, One of John Paul II's most famous quotes is, Let science tell us what and how. Let religion tell us who and why. It's a great quote. Let science tell us what and how. And let religion tell us who and why. What he's essentially saying here is science and religion aren't at odds with one another. The second episode of Physically Spiritual, we go deep into this topic of the inter- intersection of, of faith and science or faith and reason. Um, but really, science and religion are, are, are asking different questions about the same realities, about existence, about God's creation. So let science tell us what and how and let religion tell us who and why. But oftentimes, the way we approach this topic of science and religion, or faith and reason, is that they're enemies, right? They're they're sort of antagonistic to one another, right? Some people say that the more we learn about science, the more obvious it is that God doesn't exist. And many people of a religious background think we need to reject religion and its findings in order to stay true to our faith. But this is completely contrary to the way that the church has always had a posture toward science. Some of the greatest scientists in the history of the world have been Christians and Catholics. And throughout the ages, the church has tried uh, in various ways to improve and grow the sciences. So we have to, to face the question we started the episode with, is the scientific revolution in God's providence this whole emergence of and codification of the scientific method of exploring the world in more rigorous ways, leading to so many advancements in, in biology, in physics, in medicine, in engineering, technology, uh, and so on and so forth, is all of this uh, like a demonic push by which humanity uh, will no longer need God. Right? Are, are we are we following this impulse to take ourselves back to the Garden of Eden, without reliance on the Lord's grace? Right? Reversing the curse of death, giving ourselves endless and abundant food, um, infinite entertainment, so that we're never uncomfortable or never unhappy. Or has God been involved in it the whole time? Right? Has has our Lord? Um, Through the the moments of chance, the the happenings in people's lives, the the grand, um, infinite height tapestry that the Lord is weaving with his creation, right? has the Lord been involved in it from the beginning? In my opinion, I think the scientific revolution in God's providence, um, part of why it has happened is because God is teaching us how to be human, right? He's in all of it. We're discovering more and more what human nature is, right? What our body is, where it's come from, how it works, what the processes of it are, how the brain works. Uh, and then in the midst of it, how the body can be healed, how the brain can be healed. How can people um, be made, uh, be made happy, find fulfillment. So from this perspective, and from the Church's uh, posture towards science, the way that the Church handles these questions of faith and reason, I believe all of the insights from the scientific, scientific revolution, right, all of the insights of modern medicine, from biology, psychology, physics, so on and so forth, can actually be brought up into the cause of building the kingdom of God can be used for the universal call to holiness. Although much of, of modern self-help of applying all of these great insights from science to our day-to-day life tries to do so without reference to God, just because people take it that way doesn't mean it has to be that way. right? All of these same insights can be used in light of the gospel, in light of our faith, uh, to help us become who God's calling us to be. And this is kind of my core conviction uh, of physically spiritual in the Becoming Gift blog, that applying the best insights of faith and reason takes us from surviving to thriving, right? From just getting by, uh, from, from maybe being a mess beneath the surface, where we just sort of show up to the world and learn how to uh, behave and how to, to not uh, get ourselves in prison, um, to a place where we can actually fully authentically be who we are, right? From top to bottom, um, have this this authenticity in our life that we can live the gospel in every moment, especially when no one's there watching us. To go back to our, our quote from the Second Vatican Council, we cannot fully find ourselves except through becoming a sincere gift of self. I want to invite you to join me on season three of Physically Spiritual, because what we're exploring here is how to become a sincere gift. Uh, season one of Physically Spiritual, to give you kind of a quick tour as we're wrapping up this episode, we started out season one by looking at kind of a Catholic worldview. How do we adjust the lenses by which we look at the world and the sciences? Uh, so we talked about topics there, like the, the relationship between the body and the soul, the relationship of faith and reason, of evolution and creation, uh, to kind of to kind of set our our vision on the way that the church has thought about these questions over the ages. Because if we just come at, at these questions of science without putting on the the church's glasses, without changing our lenses, we'll, we'll never see clearly um, what we're called to do. Then the second series of season one, we talked about redemption as a healing process. There's a great quote from Pope Benedict the Sixteenth from his book Jesus of Nazareth, that if understood with enough depth that the whole um, sort of idea of redemption can be understood as a healing process. And so we go deep into that idea of the of how healing and redemption are related. Then we had a series on the intelligence of the body. We look at some of the, the newest and most exciting areas of, of research about the human body and how they integrate with our faith, and we can apply them in our life. And then finally, we had a series on the body, trauma, and memory. Uh, so much of what we discovered in recent years about the the physical, um, the physical reality of how trauma affects us in relationship to how our mind works, and how that leads to so many of our problems and ongoing struggles. Then season two of Physically Spiritual, we looked at at really the three essential, the three core practices for growing in holiness: one, the sacraments. Two, spirituality, uh, Christian prayer and mysticism. And then three, we looked at the idea of asceticism, but asceticism as health. So season two, I think, kind of creates a a baseline of Christian lifestyle in light of faith and reason um, for what's required to become more and more what God's calling us to be. Then finally, in season three, we're we're then going deeper and asking the question, when sin persists deep into conversion— What can we do to overcome it? You're thinking, okay, I get it. I understand the faith. I'm sort of living the basics, sacraments, prayer, uh, trying to do asceticism, but I'm still struggling. How do I go deeper? And oftentimes what we do is we turn to psychology, right? People will get referred to counselors often uh, when they have some kind of habitual sin or, or addiction they're struggling with. So in season three, we're going to be looking at different uh, Catholic ideas or ideas that, uh, integrate with the Catholic faith of psychology, uh, the human mind and the human brain. So to this, we're going to have a few guides in season three. The first is going to be a Catholic, um, psychiatrist from the 20th century by the name of Conrad Bars, who also, uh, survived, uh, the the whole, uh, World War II in Europe and, um, was uh, really uh, working to integrate the ideas of Sigmund Freud with the Catholic faith through uh, the teaching of uh, St. Thomas Aquinas. And he was uh, he developed an idea of, of therapy called affirmation therapy. We're also going to be looking at thought coming out of the John Paul II Healing Center and the writing of Dr. Bob Schutz, integrating the theology of the body, uh, much of um, the, the Christian tradition of healing prayer and the idea of, of trauma and psychological wounds we'll be going deep into teachings of what are sometimes what's sometimes called neurotheology this is coming out of the protestant world especially a gentleman named jim wilder uh, building on the teachings of um uh, oh the name just left me we'll go we'll go deeper into that so so dr wilder has a doctorate in neurology and a doctorate in theology um, so he Coins himself as a neurotheologian, but he basically points out the fact that the the way behavior change happens, the way we grow in character, has to do with sort of the emotional side of our brain, the relational side of our brain, uh, what we sometimes refer to as attachment theory. But on the other hand, so much of what we do in the church in formation to try to help people become the people they're called to be is we just fill people full of information. right? So there's a basic mismatch between what we're doing in churches to help people grow as opposed to how we understand people do grow uh, by what we have discovered through science. Mm-hmm. So he proposes that we need to um, do things in church that actually match the design of the human body for growth. And then finally, we're going to continue to go deeper in that that final series of season one of Physically Spiritual when we talked about the body trauma and memory, sort of a somatic understanding of trauma through the work of uh, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk and Dr. Peter Levine. Dr. Levine, who um, has developed a mode of therapy called somatic experiencing. But it's understanding that oftentimes the wounds and trauma um, that we experience through our life is stored in our body. So our more physical approach uh, to healing those traumas, as opposed to just a form of talk therapy, um, can be very helpful. So thanks for joining uh, this first episode of Season 3 of Physically Spiritual. Hopefully this ending kind of gives you a sense of where we've been where we're headed. Maybe you joined midway through season two, or maybe this is your first episode. And I hope this gives you a sense of uh, what you can go back and listen to, what might be of interest to you, and also where we're headed.